Welcome to the Weekly Sermons and Studies Podcast at First Baptist. I had the privilege of preaching a wedding yesterday, and it was right here in this room. And I don't know why I don't see that couple here today. So, uh, um, but we all know at one point in the service, there's an exchange of rings. And, you know, when, when we had those rings and I got, I got to hold them as, uh, before they ex- exchanged them, and they're just so beautiful. And, you know, the value of the gold and the, and the diamonds that were part of them, I'm sure, was, was substantial. But the value, there was something even more valuable that they exchanged yesterday, and that was trust. For every promise that was exchanged, I promise to love you. There was also an exchange of trust. I trust you to love me. I promise to stay with you. I trust you to stay with me. And the value of that trust was priceless. It is priceless. Trust is not a commodity that's exchanged on the stock market, but we all know that trust is something that's exchanged every day. And it has significant financial ramifications in our lives. We need trust. We give trust and we expect trust. We often have to buy trust. We have insurance, we have contracts, we have attorneys that have to help us negotiate trust, don't we? And trust is broken every day. Broken trust leads to fights. It leads to lawsuits. It leads to divorce. It leads to wars. And it leads to all the trauma that's associated with these things. If we could solve the problem of broken trust, how much pain and suffering would be alleviated in our world? How much, I wonder, of our global economy is due to broken or misapplied trust. We need a source of secure trust. And in today's scripture, we're gonna see an example of a man who had plenty of problems. But he was also a man who knew where to put his trust in the midst of those problems. Reading Psalm 27 is a bit like reading a diary entry for a prayer journal. There's a transparent rawness that to how portions of it read. We get to see what it looks like for a king to get real with God. What does that look like? What does it mean for us to say in all circumstances, I trust you, God? Well, let's pray and then turn to God's word. God, we just thank you so much for how you speak to us directly and through your word. Father, we thank you for the trust that you provide for us, that we can put our trust in you. And Father, I pray that you would continue to help us develop our relationship with you in such a way that that trust would only grow. Speak to us now through Psalm 27, through the example of a man who had many faults, many failures, but even still was ultimately able to be described as a man after God's heart. Father, we pray that you would teach us now, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 27, verses 1 through 3. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? 
When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. David starts off with a strong proclamation right out of the bat, boldly proclaiming where he stands before God and expressing his trust in God. The source of his confidence is God's light. It's his protection, and that's why he doesn't fear. David's history is one that I love to read. And I'll just admit, when I was a kid and I'd get bored by the preacher, I would go to 1 Samuel and I'd love reading David's story. And I just have read it so many times and I wanted to share just a few excerpts from David's story. As a young man, David was a shepherd and he had the experience of killing both a lion and a bear. Can you imagine? I mean, a lion and a bear as they attempted to take off his sheep. Experiences like that of being protected by God helped prepare him later in life when they encountered the Philistines. Philistines had attacked Israel with a giant named Goliath. I'm sure most of us are familiar with the story. And when every soldier of Israel refused to fight Goliath, the young boy David volunteered and he stood up. And we know that he took down Goliath with a slingshot and then ultimately killed him with with Goliath's own sword. After this, as part of the king's recognition of David for what he had done, he was brought into the service of the king. And if you've ever thought you had a boss that mistreated you, it's nothing compared to how David did. King Saul was jealous of David and one day even threw a spear at him, attempting to kill him. This experience with Saul was just the beginning of many years of David's life being threatened. David had to go into hiding to protect himself from Saul's attempts on his life. Eventually, Saul was killed in battle, and David, who had already been anointed, was officially made king. As king, David led his men in many battles. 1 Chronicles 18.6 says, Everywhere David went, the Lord helped him win battles. David defeated the Philistines, the Moabites, the Syrians of Zobah, the Arameans of Damascus, the Edomites, the Ammonites, the Jebusites, and others. David's confidence in these first three verses of Psalm came from having spent years at war, and he had years of seeing God protect him from evildoers. Now make no mistake, this psalm is a prayer in which David has a great need and he is going to ask for something. But David has the humility to know that in prayer to our our almighty God, we should approach God first with worship and thanks. Our God, he's no concierge. God is, he's not just sitting around waiting for us to share a need with him so he can just scoot off and help us out. It is our privilege to have his attention, not his privilege to have our attention. In your private times with the Lord, before you ask him for a need, do you make time to recognize him for what he's done in your life? David's setting a great example right off the bat for us in this psalm of how to deal with our fears and our needs, how to frame them when we're approaching God. How many of us, and this is participation, how many of us have fears or things that lead us to worry? Would you raise your hand? Look around the room. Someone's gonna be encouraged today by knowing that they're not alone. 
There's somebody here who probably thinks you don't have any problems. And just knowing that you do, we're, not, we're in this together. Well, we have many things that make us fear. Sickness, threat, threats to our health, loss of income, threats to our financial stability, loss of relationships, and the death of those that we love and that we count on. Almost everything in the news <laughs> brings fear, doesn't it? Whether it's something related to our country, our government, or the world. And David's example in this psalm reminds us to make time to remember what God has already done for us. If he came through before, why would he not come through for you again? Don't give up on God for all, for all he's done. Before you let fear get the best of you in your current circumstances, make time to remember and thank him for how he's taken care of you in the past. And as you remember how God has taken care of us in the past, we'll find ourselves able to voice point one of the message. I trust you, God, to protect me. Psalm 27, four through six. One thing I've asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. You ever wondered what a king asks for? King. The Bible describes David as a man after God's own heart. So he was certainly a unique king. God's presence is so great that David's one prayer is that he might live with God and look at him and talk with him forever. He's looking ahead to heaven. And if you say, well, staring at God forever doesn't sound that great, you have a pretty low view of God. And you're probably comparing heaven to a, a subpar church service. But when I think about looking at God and interacting with him forever, I have these reflections. Have you ever enjoyed spending hours staring at some aspect of nature? Staring at the ocean or a mountain range, a herd of wild animals? If you could spend all day walking among flowers or all night staring at the stars, would you? If being out on the lake or an ocean or making your way down the rapids of a river, is that something that never bores you? Have you ever had a long and meaningful conversation with someone that you love and that you know loves you? The sort of conversation that, that you just don't want to stop. If you've experienced any of these or can identify with any of these, I think that you've had the smallest of tastes of what heaven will be like. Because when we're with God for eternity, we're with the one who created all of these things. We're with, we're with the one who has promised even to create a new heavens and a new earth. So if we're wowed with, by what we see now, imagine what that's gonna be. We're gonna be with the one who created us, who knit us together in our mother's wombs. We'll be able to look at him face to face. What a conversation that will be. Boredom will be like death and suffering. 
It will be something that will be a part of our past that we no longer experience. And David's greatest desire that he shares is to be in God's presence. His desire is to be in God's house the rest of his life. But then he shifts to the benefits of the protection God provides. Because a day of trouble was ahead for David. And David knows that if if he's with God on that day of trouble, that God will take care of him. And what does David vow to do in that moment? He vows to remember to give God praise. As we're reading this, I think it's important to remember, David is the king. He's the one that already has the power. He's the one that already has the wealth. He has the army. He has all the security that came with it. He had everything that most people spend their lives pursuing. And still, what was his focus? His focus was on what God could do for him, not on what he could do for himself. Earlier in Psalm 27, David wrote, some trust in horses and some trust in chariots, but we trust in the name of our God. It's probably safe to say that most of us desire wealth in some form, at least to the measure that it provides security for us. But wealth can actually turn our attention away from God and lead us to rely on our own strength. I think about our country, such a wealthy country, and there's so much good that we can do with that wealth. But that wealth can also turn us inward and help us think that we're able to provide for ourselves. And that wealth could actually lead us towards godlessness. For King David, a man who had horses and chariots and wealth at his disposal, he shows us in this psalm that in his day of trouble, he wasn't going to trust in those things. He was going to trust in God. Well, for each of us, we know that there's a day of trouble ahead. We don't know what that looks like, but we all know enough about life to know that troubles are right around the corner. And when that trouble comes, where will we put our trust? In ourselves or in the Lord? Some of you, some of us are in the midst of a day of trouble right now. And you're trying to figure it out on your own with your own resources. And certainly there are a lot of troubles that money can fix, that medicine can fix, that our ingenuity can fix. But we would be wise to learn from King David, a man who had it all by that day's standards and still recognize the need to put our primary trust in God. The closer we are to the Lord, the more we will find ourselves able to voice point two, I trust you, God, to protect me. Psalm 27, seven through 10, David says, David writes, hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. These few verses, we get to see a a vulnerable side of King David. We get to see his humility and his honesty about his need for God's attention. David reminds God that he's doing what God commanded. 
Don't push me away. Don't forget about me. You're the one who can save me. My mom and my dad, they can't help me, but I know you can. David was experiencing a great difficulty, which is going to be described in the next few verses. And he'd found himself in a place where he was desperate for God's help. Have you been there? That point of desperation, the point where your faith is about to cross into an area of uncharted territory. God, you've been there for me in the past, I know, but this, this is new, this is different. I don't have anyone to help me. David used the word forsaken about his parents. Forsaken means to abandon. Now, there isn't evidence that David's parents actually abandoned him. In fact, in 1 Samuel 2, 22, verses 3 and 4, it says that David had put his parents in the care of King Moab when he was fleeing King Saul. And Jewish tradition is that David's parents were actually killed by the Moabites, which could have been what led to 2 Samuel's documentation of the destruction of the Moabites by David. But what David was saying is that he was in a situation where he couldn't rely on anyone else, not even those closest to him. And so he humbled himself and he expressed his desperate need for God's attention. Has pride ever kept you from admitting when you need help? It has me. You know, I've noticed that nobody comes to the church for financial wisdom when they first start to see that there's more month than there is money. They always come when they're five months behind and they need a check the next day to avoid homelessness. Very few seek out marriage help or help as a caretaker or help with depression when the challenges and symptoms are minor. We think we're just supposed to gut it out. We're supposed to stay strong, not bother anybody. I don't wanna be a bother. God's got bigger issues to address than mine. But it actually pleases God to share our burdens with him and with one another within this community. He wants to hear us. And I want to read a few verses just to remind us about this. Proverbs 15, 29 says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. In Jeremiah 33, 3, he said, Call to me and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. In 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, God says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so, to the, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. And Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give, your, give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You know, a good parent always wants to hear from their children, don't they? And God is the best father. 
He wants to hear from us. He wants to hear from you. Point number three is really a prayer of faith. I trust you, God, to hear me. David concludes the psalm by finally sharing his need and his expectation of God. Psalm 27, 11 through 14 says, Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So what's the problem that David's facing? Enemies. False witnesses. Perhaps gossips. But they're doing more than just lying about him. They're threatening violence against him. Who here has ever had someone lie about them? It's so painful, isn't it? Especially if it's someone that you've done good to. It's such a painful thing. We've all had enemies. And I'll tell you, I personally value this this section of scripture because I need to see how David prays for his enemies. Because when someone has done me wrong or has done wrong to someone that I love and care about, I still struggle with my response. I'm just not at a complete place of obedience yet. And so what is David's response though? It's remarkable. He says, God, take out my enemies and make them regret everything they've said. No, he doesn't say that. That's what this David would be tempted to say. Um, King David doesn't say that. He, He asks God to tell him what to do. Teach me your way, O Lord. He asked God to help him find the safe path forward. Lead me on a level path. He asked God to not let their desires for him come true. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries. It's an interesting that he shared this prayer too because if you look back over David's history, He absolutely had the ability to do to his enemies anything he wanted. If you go back and read in 2 Samuel what he did to the Moabites, I don't know if they did, if they killed his parents, but he had the ability to take care of his enemies in a a devastating way. But we see here that he wasn't looking to go out and just take his enemies out. He was seeking for guidance from the Lord. He wanted to know, what does the Lord want me to do in this situation? Teach me your way, O Lord. And then David shares a remarkable perspective about his situation. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. When David asked the Lord to teach him his way and to lead him on a level path, He didn't know where that path was going to be. He didn't know what God was going to say to him. Yet he knew that God would teach him in that moment the right way to deal with his enemies. 
And what David did know is that God would lead him ultimately to the land of the living. And that is the land of the living. That's where God is. And that sort of guidance is worth waiting for. Again, God is, he's not our concierge. His responses to our requests are usually one of three. Yes, no, and wait. And David wanted to know what God's response was going to be. When our perspective on our troubles and our enemies is like David's, we'll be able to voice point number four. I trust you, God, to lead me home. David put his trust in God for that day's troubles, but he also trusted God with his future. And there's a day of trouble that we all will face. And that's the day of our death. That's the day of our passing. The uh, last couple of years in our family, we've experienced the death of multiple family members and and even a a longtime pet. And this has made death a, a lot more of a reality to our children. And in fact, one of my girls has come up to me multiple times to kind of check in. And she just will, on the topic of death, you know, we're all going to die someday, right? Right? Grandma and granddaddy, they're in heaven, right? They have Jesus in their hearts. So yes, they're in heaven. Now, is avoiding hell and getting into heaven the only reason to ask Jesus into our heart? No, but it's at the top of the list. (laughs) And so the most important job that we have in the church is to prepare people for eternity. And when you're ready for eternity, there's a weight that's taken off of you. When you're ready for eternity, I think that's when you're actually able to live and enjoy life to a much fuller degree. And so that's why we begin every service pointing out one of our mission, our principal mission is that we want you to trust and follow Jesus. Because we know that if you are trusting and following Jesus, your eternity is going to be secure. And so we're going to have a time of altar right now. And we're going to sing and we're going to pray. And if anyone wants to use this day as a chance to come forward and talk about putting their trust in Jesus, I hope you will. If you'd like to talk about joining our church, I would love to talk with you. And after this time of altar, I hope you'll stay for a moment. We're going to have a video to show from our pastor. But would you stand together as we prepare to sing? Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time. We'd love to connect with you. Just email connect at firstbaptistbg.org or call 270-842-0331.